0: How many of you have served or are serving in the military? Okay. Would it be a fair guess that you can still recall some experiences in boot camp? Or if you never served in the military, think of starting a new job with new responsibilities. Can you remember the feelings that you had in those first few days? Maybe feelings of uncertainty, of anxiety, uh, you know, as you began to do your work. Or, or maybe think of the first time you ever tried to tell another person about Christ. Uh, or the first time you ever shared your testimony with somebody else. After my freshman year in the university, I went to a two-week conference that summer uh, at Arrowhead Springs, which was Campus Crusade headquarters in San Bernardino, California. California. And in one of the early days of the conference, we had a seminar on how to share your faith with someone else. And then they bust us out to Huntington Beach to spread out and go all over the beach and share Christ with those who were lounging in the sand. I can still remember the mixture of fear and anticipation and apprehension in what was my boot camp in sharing Christ. Today in Mark's Gospel, we're going to see the disciples in boot camp. You know They've been with Jesus for about a year now, and, uh, and they've listened to him teach. They've seen him do miracles, exercising authority over sickness, over death, over demons, over nature. And now it's time for their baptism into ministry. And so let's turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, and I'm going to start reading at the end of verse 6. And Jesus went about among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. If any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Jesus has been teaching throughout this area. And now he calls the 12 to himself to send them out. Their mission is an extension of Jesus' ministry. Uh, They're not striking out on their own. Uh, They'll go out under Jesus' authority and with his power. So it isn't the Simon Peter Evangelistic Association. It's not the Andrew Evangelical Ministry here. They're going out in Jesus' name, in his authority, and with the power that he gives to them. They're an extension of the master himself. It's also important to note that Jesus is sending them out to those who were the first, the focus of his ministry, to fellow Jews. Why is that? There's probably three reasons. One is that this is God's choice of priority to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Uh, It was to those who were his chosen people through whom the whole world would be blessed chiefly through the arrival of the Messiah coming through their lineage. The Apostle Paul spoke of this priority in his letter to the Romans chapter one when he says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. Second, these might be people who were known to some of the disciples, family members, friends, acquaintances. They would be a natural audience for this first witnessing experience. Third, the Jews were the people who you would most likely expect to be responsive to this message. They were the ones after all, who had the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, they were the ones who knew of the coming Messiah. They were waiting for God's deliverer. So you would think that these would be the ones that would be prepared to hear the message. Now later the disciples' reach will take them far beyond their own boundaries, particularly ethnically. It's going to take it beyond their countrymen, but for now the focus of this ministry uh, would be among the Jews. Jesus gives them instructions. And in those instructions, we see that it reveals some about this methodology that's given to them. Several things we should know. First, they were sent out two by two. They were sent out in pairs. There are probably differing reasons why Jesus did that. First of all, he would satisfy the requirement of the Old Testament law that you had two or three witnesses to establish the fact of anything. So they're going out to give testimony on the Messiah and fulfilling the Old Testament law as they together presented two witnesses to what they'd seen and heard. It would also be to their benefit for safety, for encouragement. Again, the Old Testament scriptures speak to this advantage. Ecclesiastes chapter four, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For either of them falls, the other will lift up his companion But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. I personally, from my experience, think there's another reason. You know, being sent out to witness on Huntington Beach, we went in pairs. It made it a lot harder to duck out and not have to talk to anybody. Jesus gives them interesting instructions as to what they were to take with them. The fact is, very little. Uh, Jesus wants them to depend on God, not on their own resources. This was to be another lesson in faith for these disciples. Remember, Jesus is forever teaching them and training them and coaching them. He's preparing them for what's going to follow when his ministry is over and they pick up the mantle of ministry and carry on. So the important thing is that this is part of their training. Now, are we to draw from this that missionaries, when they go to the mission field, shouldn't do any preparation? Not at all. Uh, in, In fact, near the close of his ministry, look at this interaction between Jesus and his disciples. From Luke 22, he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. In addition, the approach of the disciples was somewhat in line with the idea of hospitality that day in Mideastern culture. Hospitality was the norm, it was valued, it was expected. Uh, Strangers coming into town were to be received and cared for. So it fit really within that context. The disciples are not going out to beg. That wasn't their mission. They were there to minister in the name of Jesus and to proclaim the kingdom of heaven. The first house that would would receive them was then to be their base of operations. They were to stay there. They weren't to move on if they found better digs. What they entered, they stayed. Everywhere they went and were received, they were to leave a blessing. Isn't that interesting? They were to leave a blessing. Ray Steadman says, so as they went, they were giving far more than they got. This is another abiding principle of ministry. Ministry that is worthy of support is ministry that gives more than it gets. Excellent principle for us even to remember today in talking about ministry. Jesus also gave them instructions on what they were to do if they were not received into that home. They were to shake the dust off their feet as they left. This was a warning for how serious it was to reject this message that they brought of the gospel. There's a sense of urgency that was a part of their mission. They didn't have time to settle in for the long haul and, and, to, and attempt to reach people over an extended period of time. Their message was pretty simple, wasn't it? Repent. Repent. It's the same message that Jesus had and he started his ministry. Repent in the salvation sense sense, simply means to turn, to turn. It has both a negative and a positive aspect to it. First, there's a turning away, a turning away from one's former manner of life, from being self-centered and sinful. And then there's a turning to, that's the positive side, it's called faith. Turning to God for the sake of the gospel. See, part of the problem today in a lot of evangelism is that there's no call for people to abandon their former manner of life, to leave something when you come to God in Christ. Now, to do so is not a works gospel, that is, you're doing something in order to be saved. Repenting isn't a work that we do in order for God to forgive you but it is part of grace salvation in that I recognized my fallenness and my lostness. I admit the fact that apart from Christ, I'm nothing, I have nothing. There will be nothing for me after this life. Let me go back to my beach witnessing experience, something that's been indelibly imprinted on my mind. Um, After we concluded our day of witnessing, then we boarded the buses and headed back on up the hill to Arrowhead Springs. And while on the bus, we sang songs, and and then we had a sharing time, uh, recounting our experiences that we'd had out on the beach sharing Christ. Now, I need to digress just a little. Um, The tool that we were using to share the gospel was called the Four Spiritual Laws Booklet. Uh, There are four points to that presentation. Law one, God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. And then there'd be some verses written out that we would read. The second is that man is sinful and separated from God, thus he cannot know and experience God's love and plan for his life. Again, there are scripture verses that would speak to that point. Then law three, Jesus Christ is God's only provision for man's sin. Through him, you can know and experience God's love and plan for your life. In addition to some verses, there was also a diagram to illustrate how God, through Christ, bridges that gap that separates us from Him. And that all of our efforts to cross over are impossible, but Christ bridges that chasm. And then law four, you must individually receive Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord, and then you can experience His love and plan for your life, and then more scriptures that followed. Okay, are you with me? That's the presentation that we did. Um, So during our sharing time on the bus, uh, one fellow told us that he had personally led 16 people to Christ on the beach that afternoon. Well, let me tell you, we were in awe. That was incredible. There was cheering and clapping. And then someone asked, well, how did you do that? I mean, we all wanted to know. Maybe there was something there that we could learn to be more effective in our ministry. And so here's what he said, well, I would read law one, then I'd skip over law two, read laws three and four, and they would pray with me. Well, why wouldn't most people do that? Jesus sounds like a good thing. If I don't have to admit that I'm lost apart from him, that I'm eternally condemned without him, you know, why not? Uh, the disciples' message given to them and demonstrated by Jesus was one of repentance, abandoning a life of sin, a life of self-centeredness and turning to Christ, believing in the only one who's able to save. Now, Mark doesn't give us much insight as to the success of the disciples' ministry. The only glimpse that we have is the effect that it has on King Herod. Go to your text, Mark chapter 6, pick up at verse 14. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah. And others said he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. One effect that we do see is that the word of Jesus is spreading. Uh, It's becoming known. It's making its way up to the top of the political food chain. The disciples' ministry is having the effect it was intended to have. That is, that the name and message of Jesus is being spread far and broad. Most significant is the fact that people weren't glorifying their own names but that of Jesus. People weren't asking, who are these men who are doing these things? But it was rather, who is this Jesus who's given that power and authority to these men? And Mark gives a flashback here in this particular setting of the death of John the Baptist. I, I think there's a reason why Mark chooses to set the this, this story of John the baptizer in here with them, having had their ministry. First of all, it presents a parallel in the lives of John and Jesus. Uh, John had preached a message of repentance and the kingdom of heaven. Jesus preached a message of repentance and the kingdom of heaven. John was handed over to death by a threatened political leader. Jesus would be handed over to death by a threatened political leader. John's life ended in a violent death. And Jesus' life, likewise, would be ending in a violent death. And so you see this interesting parallel between John and Jesus. But secondly, it foreshadows the suffering and death that the disciples would experience as they will later carry on this ministry when Jesus is completing his earthly work. And this report of John the baptizer's death must have have been a sobering lesson for the disciples as they now begin to start to think about counting the cost. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be involved in his ministry? It'd be so easy for them, wouldn't it, after the things that they'd done, healing diseases, casting out demons, to think, isn't this great? But Jesus wants to remind them that there will be a cost. And, of course, we know every one of the disciples other than John suffered the martyr's death. Well, Mark gives us no indication how long a time that this ministry period was. When it's drawn to a conclusion, though, Jesus gathers his band of men together for a sharing time. How would you like to have been a mouse in the corner to listen to that conversation? It must have been spectacular. Go to Mark 6 again. Look at verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they'd done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Whether the disciples could see the limits of their energy or not, I don't know. But I suspect that Jesus did. No doubt the disciples are on an emotional and spiritual high at the moment. And at those times, it's often the most dangerous. It's readily demonstrable that at times of emotional and spiritual uh, highs, we are most vulnerable to temptation. I think Jesus knew that. And so he says to the disciples, let's get away, let's rest. It was time for the great physician to minister to their needs. And here again, we see Jesus' concern for his disciples. Uh, you know, as he's training them and teaching them, he's also caring for them, ministering to them. And we can see his plan and action for what's coming. So what's the point? What what should we walk away from this story with today? Let me suggest these things. First, God has called us to be an extension of his ministry, the ministry of Christ. Uh, We're to follow in the disciples' footsteps, proclaiming the message of repentance and salvation through Christ. How do we do that? Well, we do it through our our lives, Uh, Jesus' teaching. Uh, The disciples in the Sermon on the Mount said this, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So our very lives testify to God's kingdom rule in our hearts as we are living out and being salt and light wherever we are. It's also through our words. We're called by God to give witness to God's grace, the grace of salvation that we've experienced through Christ. And so Peter the Apostle writes, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that, here's the purpose statement, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Romans, uh, sets out the need and reason so clearly, and in this way, he says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Now, Paul, I don't think here, he's not talking about the professional clergy. Uh, They didn't exist then as they do today. Uh, God calls all of us to be a witness to him. You know, few of us here this morning have the gift of evangelism. I don't. Um, and yet, God calls every one of us to be involved in this wonderful privilege of telling others about the grace that's available through Christ. It might be sharing your testimony with a coworker or a neighbor, uh, in a way of relating maybe how you've dealt with difficult circumstances in your life. Uh, perhaps it's giving a Christian book to someone, you know, someone like C.S. Lewis's book, *Mere Christianity* that's been used by God so much, but giving somebody a book and asking them to get back to you and tell you what they thought of it. Um, Maybe it's responding to a question from someone that just opens the door for you to talk about your own experience with Christ and what he means to you. It's part of our calling in Christ. But so often I think we in the church who consider ourselves followers of Christ fail to be the people we're meant to be. Paul Harvey, some of you are old enough to remember Paul Harvey, great newsman. uh, he, he He once said this, we've drifted far away from being fishers of men to being keepers of the aquarium. The disciples took the initiative with Jesus' instruction, with his assurance, with his power to share the gospel with others. I'm convinced there are many people today who I believe would be responsive if we would just share with them how they can know Christ, how we've come to know him and what that means. When Henry Ford, the pioneer car maker, purchased a large insurance policy, the Detroit newspapers heralded the fact, since the amount was so large and because he was so prominent. The story was read by one of Ford's oldest friends who happened to also be in the insurance business the old friend went to confront Ford to see if the story was true. And when Ford assured him that it was, the friend asked why the policy hadn't been purchased from him since he was a personal friend and had been in the insurance business for many years. Ford's reply, you never asked me. How many of our friends could say to us, you never asked me? You never told me. Here's something else I want you to walk away from today. And it's sort of flipping this around a little bit, and that is we can expect opposition to our ministry. Sometimes we are so surprised that people don't like what we're doing, how we're living, or what we're saying. And instead of emboldening our efforts, we sort of shrink back and, and withdraw a little bit. We evaluate if we're doing something wrong, and And and, and sometimes we seek to be better accepted. But could it be that that's the wrong conclusion that we're to draw? Now listen, I don't mean to be offensive in ministry. I mean, sometimes people are offensive. uh, And and what's discredited is the messenger, not the message. The message will stand by itself. But I have to tell you, the message is offensive. Um, The gospel is narrow. It is exclusive. When we are accused of that, we should simply say, yes, it is. That's the truth claims that we challenge you to investigate, to think about, and to consider. It might offend those who are closed to the message of Christ, but it ought not to be something for which we either apologize or withdraw. The message is what the message is. And then I'll suggest one more thing to you this morning. We must know our limits, physically and emotionally. And we need to take time in the presence of the great physician and let him renew our spirit, our perspective, and, and, and feedback into our lives. We Take time for refreshment for your own soul. Back in my college days, involved in campus ministry, there used to be this cliche that was thrown around, it was very popular at that time, better to burn out than rust out. Now think about that. Does that make any sense? It's rather ludicrous, isn't it? Those are my two choices, I can either burn out or rust out? Um, Paul says that we're to run the race of life with endurance, stretching toward the finish line, Does that sound like running the marathon with the 100-yard dash mentality? I don't think so. I mean, the problem is you'll never make it to the finish line if that's the way you run. You'll only be able to give out to others what is within yourself. If the well is dry, you have nothing to give to somebody else. And so I think a reminder is that there are times where we need to come apart, just like the disciples. The old country preacher, Vance Havner, once said, if you don't come apart and rest, you will come apart. So stay in the race, stay strong, finish strong, be about your father's business. Our mission is the same that was given to those original apostles, share the good news of the kingdom. And how God uses that, that's his business all he calls us to do is to be faithful. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word, for, for this story that we have in the lives of the disciples. I suspect that many of them were, well, maybe terrified when Jesus sent them out, just like we are when we first go out and tell somebody else about Jesus. And So I pray, Lord, you'd give us the courage to be a witness for you through our lives and through our words that we would have a proper understanding that our responsibility is just to be faithful and to share our story with others and the story of Christ and let them decide. And God, you will do what you want. So often you do so much more in us. And so we thank you that we can be witnesses to this amazing grace about which we have sung this morning. May it be our experience this week as we go from this place. Would you just give us opportunities to be salt and light to a world that so desperately needs hope and life. And so we commit ourselves to you as we start a new week. In Christ's name, amen.